Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 104 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we talk with Dahlia enthusiast Rich Gibson. He shares some of his tips for growing great dahlias and also a little bit about what he's looking for as he hybridizes new varieties of that beautiful flower. The plant profile is on Waigila, and we share what's going on in the garden as well as some of the upcoming local gardening events. This episode, we're joined by Rich Gibson. He's the past president of the National Capital Dahlia Society based here in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Rich. Hey, thank you, Kathy. Good to be here. Great to have you. So we're going to talk about all things Dahlia. uh, But before we dive into that, let's talk a little bit about you, Rich. And so it's not a paid position to be president or past president of Dahlia Society, correct? Nope. Fully volunteer. Fully volunteer. And a passion, I'm sure. Yep. So what do you do for a living? So I'm a union organizer. I work for the Service Employees Union. I've been doing that for the last 20 some years since I've been living in the Baltimore, D.C. area. And so what brought you to Dahlia's? Did you just fall in love with that plant? Have you always had a green thumb and were born with chlorophyll in your veins? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if it was born with it, but I was kind of raised with it. My grandfather, so my dad's father, had a couple of acres. I grew up in western New York. He had a couple of acres in Orchard Park, which is south of Buffalo. And he always had this huge garden, including two really big rows of dahlias. So he like they grew food, they canned food, but he also just had this love of dahlias. So every time we went over to visit him, anytime between August and October, it was always a tour of the Dahlia Garden. So I would say that's where my passion started back when I was a kid. I didn't start growing them until I moved here, you know, when I actually had uh, land to have a Dahlia garden in my backyard. Uh, and I, you mentioned the National Capital Dahlia Society. I saw an ad or, or a little article in the Washington Post in 2008 about a Dahlia show. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know they had Dahlia shows. Like I knew my grandpa used to take them to the Erie County Fair, but I didn't know they actually had Dahlia shows. And I went to the show and I met these people and I've been growing Dahlias uh, like wild since then. And is our area, the Mid-Atlantic, suitable for dahlias or hostile, or or do you think it's generally a great area for it? It's suitable, I would say. It's not Mm -hmm. ideal. You know, like I would say dahlias, you know, they're from, you know, the the high mountains in, in Mexico. So they're not used to the heat or the humidity that we have here or the, you know, the frozen ground in the winter, but there, you can grow them here. You know, like we're, we're towards the southern end of where it's kind of okay to grow them, where it's not too brutally hot. 
That explains a lot, the mountains of Mexico. That explains a whole lot about um, how you would care for them, which we'll get into in a second. But first, I think we need to address the Dahlia versus Dahlia. <laughs> and we've both been saying Dahlia, and that's how I prefer it, like doll, D-O-L-L. Um, but do you hear it both ways? And do you think one way is correct, Rich? Well, so there's those two ways. And if you ever speak to somebody from England, they're going to say Dahlia. Hmm. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they're named after this guy, Andreas Dahl. And so he was a Swedish scientist who that's who I don't remember who actually named them, but it was one of the one of the uh, botanic garden directors named him after his friend. And back in the 1700s, there were two competing names for this flower, you know, like the like the Western Europeans and the Northern Europeans called them dahlias. And then the Germans and the Polish and the Ukrainians called them Georginas. So you could actually still run into maybe a first generation European person who would say, oh, these are Georginas. But I think it's Dahlia. The guy's name was Dahl. D A H L. So I think it. I think that's what makes sense. Hmm, totally makes sense. But I do like that Georgina. I kind of like that too. <laughs> now that we can call either one. Um, so for uh, those growing dahlias, you go and maybe at your local garden center, you can buy a pot of what's called an annual dahlia, and then there's like the big dinner plate ones. Can you talk about those differences? Yeah, well, I would say there's tons even in between there. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it, you can go to, you know, even Giant sells them. You know, like you can go to Home Depot or Giant or any, you know, Mer- Merrifield, you know, any of these places will sell you dahlias either in a pot or in a package. You know, th- the ones that are potted up and that might be called, you know, you know potted dahlias or, or patio dahlias, that's more for someone to just have like a short plant that they can keep, you know, on their patio or something. And those are great. You know, it's a, it's a good way to have color in your garden or on your porch or something, you know, but dahlias run from, you know, less than two inches to, you know, 14 inches in, in, in diameter for the flowers. And there's just huge variety. It's I would say of any plant, there might be the most variety in here because of its genetic makeup. It's octoploid uh, in its makeup, which allows for a tremendous amount of variation in color, form, and size. So the ones you're generally buying as tubers, maybe you're buying them from a catalog or a garden center or like a supermarket or a big box store, as you mentioned, those are generally going to be the large, tall, almost dinner plate size or, or larger cutting ones versus the potting ones, which sometimes we'll call annual dahlias. Although I think we can call them all annual if we left them in the ground right. Uh, yeah, they're annuals in the north. I would say here it's it's a little bit of mixed bag. You know, every tuber I didn't dig up last winter came up anyways. You know, just because we didn't have deep enough freeze in the ground. You know, obviously in Mexico they are perennials. You know, where where they grow and down south they're perennials. Uh, but yeah, I would say they're we generally treat them as as annuals if you plant them and then you dig them up and divide them because you would plant a tuber. And that tuber multiplies during the grow, growing season, and you might have 10 tubers at the end of the season. So it's also kind of economical if you want to grow more than one of that variety next year, you can dig them up, 
and divide them. And I would say here, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, if you don't feel like digging them up, but you do want them to grow exactly where they are next year, you could heavily mulch them. You know, make sure that you stake, you know, put something there so you know where they are and then uncover them in the spring. You know, I, as I said a little bit earlier, I had a bunch of, you know, volunteers that I thought I had dug up, but yeah, they were coming up. <laughs> so mild winters would help extra yep. mulching. And I would say, again, climate change. I think that, unfortunately, that's part of it. Yeah. Mm hmm. And so eventually you might have perennial dahlias coming back every year. I think in, in especially close into the district, yes. You know, or if you're in downtown Baltimore, yes. I think they are, they are perennial there. And so you mentioned that they, the tubers multiply. So should that happen and you leave them in the ground for a few years, would you still need to dig and divide them just because they would become so crowded? Yeah, I think it's a good idea, you know, in that, you know, because we like growing them like one shoot up, you know, so they form one plant. You know, if you leave a clump in the ground, it's going to make lots of shoots, you know, and then it can get to be messy after a couple of years. And so if it does send up lots of shoots, do you trim back those extra shoots so that it can concentrate on one large one? Yes. You know, and you can have two. I'd say two is okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one is ideal, but two is okay. And for those big flowers, a lot of them, you know, are the size of your hand or bigger. Are you staking the stem? And at what point in the season do you do that? Do you do it when you put the tuber in the ground or do you wait until later on? I think it's ideal if you're going to use stakes to put them in right when you plant the tuber or a lot of people, they, they pre-sprout them, you know, like they'll, they'll plant the tubers in four inch pots and let them get going and then transplant. But I think it's ideal if you're going to stake them to do it soon because uh, you don't want to put a stake through the tuber or through, you know, the feeder root and potentially kill the plant later. And let me just mention, there's two other ways too. So there's stakes. Some people cage them. You know, you can use like upside down tomato cages, or you can make some cage of your own design. Or increasingly, and this is what I do, I use netting. You know, it's Hortonova netting, where I have three layers of it. Uh, so I don't have to tie all the time. And I grow a lot of dahlias. So this makes my life a little bit easier, you know, in you know, August, September, when they are growing like crazy and putting out lots of blooms and lots of laterals, I'd prefer not to tie on a stake. If you have a little operation, a stake or a tomato cage is even easier and you don't have to worry too much about tying. And so the netting you're describing, that's the netting that is being used popularly in cup flower growing so that it's held up parallel to the ground, like horizontally, versus I think some listeners might be picturing a vertical net that like a vining plant would grow up, like but instead it's, it's held above at a certain height. And how are you holding it at that height? So I have tea stakes at the end of my rows. So I grow them in rows generally, except if I have like the short dahlias that I can put in pots or just put in the ground without stakes. But I grow in rows in my backyard and my side yard. So I'll have tea stakes, which I got at a big box store that, you know, mm -hmm. can pound in. And then I could have three layers of netting, you know, horizontal, uh, parallel to the ground. 
at like a foot and a half, three feet, four and a half feet. You know, some dahlias don't get that tall, but some dahlias, I have some in my backyard that get to be eight feet. You know, there's some varieties that can just be super tall. And I imagine you're stringing that netting well before the plant is reaching that height. Yep. So I, I put it in, yeah, I actually have, I didn't take my netting down last year. I had in the past, but I didn't last year. I just moved the netting all up, well, to the bottom at first and now to the top so I can get in there and plant. But I, as I plant the rose, you know, over, you know, late April through early June, uh, when I'm done planting any row, I want to put the netting in place. Hmm. And, and the plants will grow up kind of like you said, it's used widely in cut flowers, you know, and the plants will go around the netting and it, it provides really good support. Nice. And it also makes it a lot easier for the cutting when you want to have them held up like that and they don't flop over, of course, or hit the ground during a thunderstorm. Exactly. You know, because that's, that's the big kind of like, we say it's kind of growing dahlias is a little bit like growing tomatoes. You know, like you do have to generally cage tomatoes and let them grow up. But if there is a big windstorm, you know, dahlias will snap, snap off just like tomatoes would get demolished. And that's why having some support helps them out just in those brief moments, you know, during the summer and fall when there is bad weather. Mm-hmm. I can imagine when we've had a couple of those derechos in the past, yep. what would, <laughs> what that would look like. So yeah, that would be tough yeah. to, to miss all of those. Or maybe about 10 years ago, we did have an early, it was either a late August or an early September hurricane. You know, it, was, it wasn't terrible, but like when you have sustained wind for 12 to 24 hours, that's brutal on a mature dahlia garden. Hmm. Yeah, and that would be so disheartening to come out after that and see them all laying on the ground. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So um, are you preparing the soil for those beds in any particular way? So I, I, I'm a no-till gardener. You know, like maybe 10 years ago, uh, I, I stopped tilling and, and turning the soil and have adopted no-till. And I live, I live in Hyattsville, not too far from Tacoma Park. And the Tacoma Park Public Works allows you to go pick up their, you know, composted or partially composted shredded leaves from the previous fall. And I apply, you know, three to six inches of this either composted or partially composted uh, leaves at various times between you know, sometimes as early as March this year, I didn't start that early, but in, you know, up through when I'm, when I'm planting. And so that, I would say that allows a lot of, you know, the biology of the soil and the bacteria and all the little creatures in there do their job and just kind of freshen, freshens it up with that, you know, composted leaf material. Mm-hmm. I swear by that Tacoma Park mulch, but I'm greedy. So you just dropped one of my secrets, Rich. Sorry. <laughs> now everybody's going to be running to that pile. Yep. I think there's usually enough, you know, it mm-hmm. does get a little crowded sometimes. So I try to hit it very early. Yes. And of course you could make your own um, chopped leaves and you can also buy it commercially under the name of leaf grow. Yep. Um, if you're in the mid Atlantic area, you can locate that. Yeah. And I, and I also compost all of my dahlia waste. So that, that goes back into the beds, you know, kind of with the theory that 
all of the nutrition that the dahlias took out of the soil is going to be in the compost, you know, and then I'm putting that back into the soil, you know, either the following year or the year after my, my, my pile is not super hot right now. So I'm not going to be able to apply a lot of that anytime soon, but uh, I think, I think composting the dahlia material is also a good idea. That's great advice. And do you chop it up? Because those stems and leaves can be pretty thick. Yep. They got to be chopped up. Yep. And are you doing it with some type of machine or manually just? Just manually. Yep. Manually. We've got different sized clippers and tools of sorts. You know, the, uh, I don't know what the tool's called that you trim the, the trees with. I use that for the dahlia stalks. Like a lopper, probably. A lopper. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because some of those stalks, uh, they're, you know, like corn stalks. Yeah. <laughs> like, they can be really tough to, to cut. Yeah. The the actual one of the uh, the names, the the Mayan people who, who, you know, the Dali was important to, you know, in the uh, uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, there's no rivers, you know. So, you know, they have these cenotes and they have other, there's water deep down. But to carry water from place to place, they used to use the dahlia stalks. And the name of the dahlia, and I don't know it off the top of my head, but was kind of like water stick or something like that. If you can imagine that stalk full of water, you know, you could imagine people transporting it like that. And that's, I think that's one of the the names that the Mayans called those dahlias. Hmm, it's like a giant straw almost. Yep. That's pretty cool. And that does bring up the edibility or if there's any poison in the plant? No poison in the plant. Uh, you know, originally the Spanish brought the dahlias back to Europe thinking that they were going to be as as good as the potatoes from South America, but they, they didn't make it as that. So like the first, the first wave of dahlias back to Europe were thought of only as food and died out within a couple of years because nobody's like, ah, these aren't good. You you can find dahlia recipes for the tubers. I think the petals, you know, could be eaten. They don't really have any flavor and the, the, there's no poison to them, but I don't, I don't know that they're that, that great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like it would be, you know, kind of your bottom of your choice from your garden, especially with the expense. <laughs> but yeah. if you were really hungry, you could do it. Yep. And so if they are edible for us, that probably means they are edible for deer as well. Kind of, you know, like deers, we can we always say that dahlias, after they eat everything else, then they might eat the dahlias, hmm. but they're eating everything else first. So probably not deer resistant, I would categorize that as, but maybe a last choice a last choice, you know, like mm-hmm. if there's deer everywhere, it might not be ideal to have them, but that means you also can't have anything else, you know, unless you have things that are totally deer resistant. The only real critter that I've had trouble, a couple critters that I've had trouble with, groundhogs will eat them. So if you have groundhogs there, they're trouble. I haven't had trouble with voles, but I know some people in in our area more further out in the suburbs or in the country, they have some problems with voles going after the tubers. Uh, and then there's, you know, lots of insects like them. <laughs> so they, that can be a pain. Hmm. And are the insects like beetles or what type like to attack dahlias? Um, so 
early on, and this doesn't cause a lot of thing, except that it, it can help spread virus. You know, thrips and aphids are, are small insects that tend to be attracted to dahlias, but they're attracted to everything else. You know, your weed, your grass, everything else is attracted to those things. If you get grasshoppers, they will eat every part of the dahlia, including the bloom. Uh, I guess some beetles, like like the in my neighborhood, there are Japanese beetles, but they don't mm-hmm. they don't mess with my dahlias as much as they mess with all my neighbors' roses. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And so you mentioned uh, one of the diseases that can affect the dahlias. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of those and how you might detect them. And then calling back to where you talked about composting the stems and foliage, if you see a disease on them, is that okay to compost them still? No, I would say there's two. So dahlia virus, you know, this is something the American Dahlia Society has been pretty active in studying. And we actually Mm -hmm. have a funded uh, professor down in Alabama that's uh, working on that. But, you know, dahlia virus, it doesn't kill the plant necessarily, but it's not great, you know, like, and it can stunt the plants and it can really affect what the flower looks like in the end. You know, there's a bunch of different kinds of dahlia virus and you generally can detect it on the foliage. Uh, The most common is the uh, dahlia mosaic virus, which kind of looks like it's it's yellow veining around the veins on the leaves and it'll look a little bit like an oak leaf or something around the, the center of your, your dahlia leaf. Uh, and then there's some other, there's some other viruses, you know, just if your foliage looks like bubbly or spotted or has the yellow veining or doesn't have green color, you know, it really doesn't have any chlorophyll, that's trouble. Any sign of virus, I tend to dig up the virus plants and then put it in the garbage and do not compost it. So that's one thing. The other thing, and I've never had this, I've seen it a little bit, but I've never had it is gall, you know, and that's something that's more soil borne. I guess there's leafy gall and I don't, I don't know about that. I've never seen it, but Mm -hmm. if you have gall, yeah, you, you also can't compost that. You need to, to dig that up. And I think the advice is don't grow in that area for a few years. And it's not just dahlias that get gall, but it's, it's other plants that get it also. Hmm. And for the dahlia mosaic virus you mentioned, so I'm familiar with the tobacco mosaic virus, which can be spread by somebody smoking tobacco and then having it on their fingers and then touching a tomato leaf. Um, Is that a similar vector for dahlia? I don't know the dahlia mosaic virus, you know, that the, the uh, tobacco virus that you mentioned, you know, a lot of dahlia growers won't let smokers in their garden for that exact reason, because that is a minor virus that affects dahlias, but it does happen. The The vectors, it's generally humans cutting and going plant to plant. Like I'd, I'd say humans are the biggest spreaders through their knives and their scissors and their cutting mm. tools. You know, a lot of us, you know, to make sure we don't spread virus, we have a 10% bleach solution that we use when we are cutting blooms. You know, and just go plant to plant, and and that way it'll kill the virus on the knife or on on the uh, cutting device, and you won't spread it. And then there's just a number of insects that spread it. You know, I mentioned aphids and thrips are two of the most common that spread virus. You know, and you're not going to really get rid of those. You know, like you can spray all you want or whatever, you're still not going to get rid of everything. You know, like in the amount of chemicals you would have to use to try to kill those tiny little insects all the time is 
you know, not, you know, it's too much. It's just not worth it. And I think a lot of people are trying to get away from using pesticides like that. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about the bleach solution, are you dipping your pruners into it between yep. each cut or wiping it? Dipping between each cut. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, th- and the same thing when we're dividing tubers at the end of the season, dipping between each cut of a different clump of tubers. Hmm. So you're not spreading virus anywhere. Great. Yeah, that's good sanitation practice. And so now that you mentioned cutting the tubers um, at the end of the season, so your plant has started to die back right in the fall after blooming, and you would dig a section and then I assume bare root it. And then what's your next step? Well, you don't have to totally bare root it. You know, like I'd say there's two, there's two ways to do it. You, you can wash them off or like some people blow them off with high pressure air. And then you start cutting towards the crown because the growth from next year is the part of the tuber that hits, you know, the crown or the stalk of the plant. That's where the sprouts or the eyes, as we call them, will come next year and you divide it there. So that's one way is you can divide in the fall. You know, you, you might cure them for a day, you know, like put them not in a sunny place and not directly on concrete, but somewhere where they can cure, you know, and the wound can, can heal over or dry over a little bit before you actually store them. The other way is if you don't feel like doing this, you know, and, and I've, I've been, I do a lot of hybridizing with dahlias and it with first year plants from seed, the tubers might not be as clean as they are with established varieties. And I'll just save the clumps and worry about dividing in the spring. You know, and I, I save in mostly in vermiculite, but there's lots of ways you can save tubers over, over, over the winter. You know, vermiculite, I think is the best way, but some people will use peat. Some people will use just shredded newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of ways to do it, you know, and, and almost every way works. Dahlias really want to live. Nice. And so you mentioned seed for the hybridizing. Can you propagate them from seed as well? Yes. Yep. And that's uh, really fun, you know, because like dahlias do not come true ever, you know, and even, you know, if you you have a seed pod from one flower, you could, if you get like 10 or 20 seeds from one seed pod, each one of those will be different. You know, they could be different color, different shape, different size, different form. You know, and it's a very complex plant. You know, I mentioned earlier, it's octoploid in its genetic makeup, which means there's a lot more genes than most other uh, plants and just a lot more variation, which is kind of the coolest thing about dahlias. You know, all these different colors, all these different sizes and shapes. Uh, Awesome, beautiful flower. Hmm. And for your hybridizing work, what are you looking for in attributes I'm most interested in ball form and formal decorative, you know, so I would say color is a really big part of it. And then form, you know, those are the two things I'm looking for. Nice stems. I like dark foliage and dark stems, you know, so there's lots of different things I'm looking for, but I would say color and form are the two most important things, you know, uh, like a, a nice, lots of petals, you know, a pleasing color. And you mentioned some of those forms. Can you define some of those categories for us? Sure. So, uh, well, a ball form, you know, first of all, they're ball shaped, but also the petals 
around, you know, like they're, they're circular or incurved, you know, uh, in shape and, and the petals go all the way around to the stem. A formal decorative is more of a flat petal, uh, that, uh, and similar, it's round in shape. There's also cactus type, which are kind of the more pointy petaled that are revolute uh, shaped uh, each individual petal. There's a lot of different open centered kinds. So like the original, you know, deck, Dahlia from, from Mexico is a single or collarettes. There's eight petals and a disc, a yellow or purple disc in the center. There's these anemone, which is kind of like the pin cushion in the center, but then the petals around the side. There's informal decorative, which is kind of a little bit more crazy, kind of like, uh, remember the Lorax? The the Mm -hmm. trees in the Lorax movie? That's more of an informal decorative. (laughs) Okay. There's a water lily form, which Mm -hmm. does look kind of like water lily, where you have cupped petals that cup upward and out. Uh, stellar form is kind of like longer pointy petals, kind of like decorative, but longer petals. What am I missing? There's, there's undoubtedly more, you know, there's just a lot of different forms and there's, there's new forms being created. You know, I'd say in this hybridization, there's kind of a hybridization boom inside the Dahlia boom. So as people are trying to, you know, and, and selecting on different, traits that they like, you know, we're seeing different forms. And I was going to ask for what the other hybridizers are looking for. And I was maybe more want to explore what's becoming fashionable. So, you know, trends come in and out, right? It's same yeah. thing with dahlias, um, same thing with daylily, same thing with iris. So some people like the more closed full ones, and then it goes to more open um, so what is the general trends and also are you seeing dahlias becoming more popular with the general gardening population? Yep. Well, I'll start with the second question. Yes. Dahlias are really popular. Yeah. You know, like right now, you know, just in, in terms of a hybridizer and, you know, the, like the dahlias that I've introduced, you know, they all sell out instantly, you know, like on Instagram and, you know, on, on Facebook and other, I think the way to connect and show them that's part of it. But there's in popular culture too, like Martha Stewart led this craze with Cafe Olay, which is a really popular kind of brownish, whitish, pinkish dahlia. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that's part of the trend that's in is that like these muted, creamy colors. I would say pink is very in at the moment, but especially like these muted pastel uh grayish even brownish color flowers now just are really in but i think people really like cut flowers i think and this is even before you know the pandemic but i think during the pandemic having something beautiful in your house and and dahlias you know they look great in the garden but it's it's great to be able to just go out and cut flowers bring them in your house or take them to work they last for you know five to seven days and i think people really and they keep blooming you know, it's like when you cut a flower, two laterals come up in its place and they'll keep blooming until frost. And so, yes, I would say there's a big there's a big dahlia boom. You know, like and we see it like I saw you at the uh, the uh, Garden Mart sale this past weekend. You know, 
we are our clubs our fundraising is selling tubers we sell a lot more tubers now than we did five years ago or 10 years ago good to hear and so for the fashion trends in the dahlia society or the the real dahlia geeks yeah i would say for the dahlia society there's a there's a bigger emphasis on form you know and there are lots of people like lots of different forms, but I would say these, the cactus forms have been really popular with a lot of people for years, you know, formal decoratives and balls. Those are more traditional forms, but I would say they're still popular. Lots of people are like these new little open center dahlias too. Like they're growing micro dahlias and like little cute dahlias, more daisy like. Um, But yeah, I would say it's hard to say that, you know, for the Dahlia society, like for the show, the showing uh, grower, if there's anything more popular than there ever has been, you know, there's just a, a big emphasis on on form and color, but but more so form. I would say in the general public, it's more form or it's more color than form. Uh, but people want to be able to have long stems and you know something that they can they can show then you know in their house or at work or sell to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed, especially in the cut flower trade, those muted colors you talked about, but also now the really dark, like chocolate colors. Yes. Yep. I would say, and the dark reds too. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, there's a Holly Hill Black Beauty is a real popular dark red dahlia that puts out a lot of blooms or, um, you know, there's more and more of those colors. Chocolatey is tough because brown is tough for dahlias. You know, like Mm -hmm. they're, they're getting... The the you know cafe au lait has a tiny bit of of a of a beige but not really brown but yeah the dark colors you know especially the dark red I would say purple hasn't quite gotten in yet but the purple dollies are pretty cool too mm-hmm. yeah those would be my personal favorites and so you mentioned when cutting uh, one bloom you get two more branching coming from that so the more you cut the more flowers you're going to get so how often are you out in your garden cutting uh i would you know especially from late august until frost you know like you can cut every day you know like if if you were selling i don't i don't sell flowers but if if you were selling you could probably do it at least twice a week you know but you know the plants want to put flowers out you know and especially you know, as, as kind of like survival, they want to produce seed and they have to produce flowers to produce seed. So it's, we're constantly stressing them um, <laughs> by forcing them to make more and more flowers. Are they very fertilizer hungry? They like fertilizer. You know, like I think some people, I think over fertilize, like I don't, I don't use a ton of fertilizer. I do use some, but not a lot. Uh, but um, they they do like they do like to feed, and that does bring up you know with small space gardening and urban gardening like mine, I'm you know cramped for space, and so I'm always looking for something that I can combine with the dahlias. So I've got these tall straight dahlias. Are there any good companions, or do they not like competition in their root zone? They don't necessarily like it, but I think there are some good companions. Um, oh, what is what I'm thinking of? Boy, off the top of my head, I can't, I can't think of what I'm thinking of. You know the little purple flowers that are good uh, uh, butterfly? Uh, what is it? 
Not petunias. Well, no, not petunias. It's a tall flower that'll grow right next to the dahlia, and but it's a tiny little flower off of. Uh, boy, I just can't think of it off the top of my head. Mm, if it the comes, the name is like borealis or or something like that. Okay. But and I also have been growing as as a way to attract uh, um, beneficial insects that kind of kill the thrips. I have been planting alyssum with my dahlias everywhere. And that's kind of, and also, you know, dahlias don't really have a scent and having the alyssum with the dahlias, I think it's, you know, it gives you a different scent and it also does attract some, some, some bugs that eat the thrips and eat the aphids. Yeah. That makes me also think about marigolds um, since they're also a Mexican plant, that that might be a fun combination. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do plant marigolds a little bit with them. They, you know, marigolds need a lot of space though, because they get they get crazy big and bushy, and that you know they they can be shaded out by the dahlias because the marigolds still tend to not get too tall. Whereas the alyssum, they'll just take it. You know, like even though they're being crowded out, they'll find a way to to spread out and and still grow. Mm-hmm. And they don't love the heat of the summer, the alyssum. So getting shaded buy that taller plant is probably a bonus. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And I was going to say, so you need full sun and good drainage. Um, if you're coming from the mountains of Mexico, I'm imagining they really want good drainage and not to sit in wet soil. Yeah. They don't want to sit in wet soil, but they need a lot of water uh, in August, September, October. Like right now they don't need a lot, but you know, especially from tubers, they don't need a lot of water because they get a lot of the nutrition there. But I would say they do need a good inch of rain per week, you know, starting in late July. I was going to say for our area, that's normally when we can get a bit of drought for a few weeks then. Yeah. I think a lot of like Dahlia fanatics, we, you know, I use drip irrigation so i don't waste water but i can give the plants a little bit and there's this in in australia there was this guy who came up with this pulse watering idea where you can use drip irrigation a few times a day for a very short amount of time so you're not using a lot of water but you're giving the plant the water when when it's really stressed out so like you could give it five minutes of drip irrigation at noon and at three and at six and that would be it as opposed to like, and, and, and that doesn't use a ton of water and it, it tends to work and the dahlias do tend to appreciate that, but it is kind of tough, you know, especially I have full sun in my garden, so it would be tough without watering the dahlias for them to make it through August in, in DC. If you're going on vacation, if you don't have a drip irrigation or automatic system, and even if you do, you know, you can't always trust it, right? Right. So you want somebody to be checking in on those. Yep. Uh, having a, a friendly neighbor, you know, or a friend come over and check in on them would probably be a good idea if you're away for a week. I was thinking about the showing of the dahlias that you mentioned earlier, and maybe you can talk about some of the upcoming shows and also how dahlias are judged. I would think that the Dahlia Society would have some judge training that goes on. Yep. Well, I'll start on the last question. So yeah, there is, we have a judging program, you know, where we do cha- train anybody who wants to learn more about how we appreciate them, you know, form and color, the top two criteria, you know, foliage and stem and, uh, you know, 
uh, what's this word I'm looking for? You know, floriferousness, you know, how floriferous a flower is, uh, you know, and, and part of form is, you know, how the petals roll, you know, like, are they uniform, you know, the contour of the petals. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a judging program. We, you know, at our club and then throughout the, the American Dolly Society, there is a judging guide and it was actually just updated this year. Uh, so yes, we do training on that. You could always check our website or come to one of our meetings and we will do uh, judging training a couple times a year. In terms of showing dahlias, yeah, a lot of us like showing dahlias. It's a cool way to compete, but it's also a cool way to show these beautiful flowers to the public. You know, a few of the annual shows, you know, the Maryland State Fair has a really nice show. The Philadelphia Dahlia Society, uh, Longwood Gardens invites them to have their show there every year. So it's like the best public garden. You're able to have a, a Dahlia show up there. And then here, the National Capital Dahlia Society, we have two shows per year, you know, one at the Montgomery County Agricultural History Farm Park, which is kind of our midsummer practice show. And then every year except this year, on the last weekend in September, we have a show at Brookside Gardens, which is a really great place to, uh, it's a great little garden and, and it's a great place to, where we can have our show indoors. But this year we have the American Dahlia Society National Show here in D.C., or it's actually in Reston from you know, September 24th and 25th at the Reston Sheraton Hotel. You know, there'll be thousands of blooms. There'll be some speakers on some interesting topics. You know, Some of them are a little nerdy, like Dahlia virus and the Dahlia Genome product, Project, but also you know, uh, photographing dahlias. And you know, we're hoping to have uh, Christine Albrecht from Santa Cruz Dahlias come out and speak about hybridizing and hybridizing for the cut flower grower. And it'll be really cool, you know, if people want to check that out. And our website has a link to the National Show website. It's free to enter and free to attend. And if, if you want to take part, uh, you should definitely check it out. That's exciting that the National Dahlia Show is going to be here in Reston, Virginia. So anybody can come and go to that. I imagine there's a registration fee for the classes and the other part of it, though. There's a registration fee if you want to be a full participant and, um, you know, attend. You know, we, we'll, we'll have dinner and lunch and things like that. And there's tours we have for out-of-town people to see some of the different gardens and things. Mm -hmm. But if you just want to come and see it, it is free and the speakers are also free. Great. Good to know. And can you share that website with us, Rich? So our the regular website for our club is nationalcapitaldahlia.org. Mm -hmm. so nationalcapitaldahlia.org. And if you want to, you can go to that site. You know, we have we have some videos there. We've got lots of photos there. And you can also link there's a link that you can click right on the on the there to go to the national show site so that's the 2022-national-dahlia-show.org but i think just going to nationalcapitaldahlia.org is probably easier great and i'll try to include both those links in our show notes as well cool so in our last few minutes, I wanted to talk a bit about your favorite flowers among the dahlias, Rich. So what are the ones that you would not go without growing in a certain okay, year? So 
Yeah. So there's some that I grow every year. Yeah. Like one of them is Brookside Snowball, which is a pure white. Uh, it's kind of in between a formal decorative and a ball dahlia. You know, it's about four inches in diameter. Just a really beautiful flower. Lots of petals, really good form. Uh, I grow K.A.'s Cloud as a big dahlia. It's like a whitish pink dahlia that I really like. I like a lot of ball form dahlias. So I grow, I grow Blight and Softer Gleam, which is a yellowish pink flower. Again, really nice form, uh, ball form. Um, what else do I grow? Crazy for Aisha, you know, which is hybridized by John Spangenberg, who, who's local, the really nice dark red flower. Uh, Cornell and Cornell Bronze, those are two ball dahlias. Cornell is a dark red and Cornell Bronze is a bronzy orange color. You know, so I'm really biased towards these ball dahlias. <laughs> and I like trying a few new ones every year too. But like I, I think I mentioned earlier, you're like I'm focused on hybridizing. So I most of what I have are seedlings either first year or seedlings that I'm developing to, you know, introduce to the public over 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 the next few years and a couple of mine that i'm really proud of that came out this year is a 20th ave memory which is a nice pink ball dahlia and 20th ave tradition which is a white miniature ball dahlia so i'm really excited about those and what am i growing i'm growing cafe au lait this year for the first time so i'm excited to see how that does might try to get some seed out of that and see what comes from that so I'd say those are some of them. And so you mentioned some of those cool names, and I imagine there's a registration process to do that when you hybridize and pick a name for them. Well, there's not really a registration process. You know, in the American Dahlia Society, there's a judging process for flowers. So to be, you know, to get recognized and put into the American Dahlia Society um, classification and handbook, you do need to have your your dahlias judged, but there's no registration fee. And people that are not going to do that, they're free to name something that they hybridize from seed, whatever they would want to, you know, and I think especially in the cut flower industry, there's people that don't uh, have their flowers shown or judged but they do introduce lots of cool flowers and i think one of them is uh i don't know if you've you've seen florette you know she's really big mm -hmm. in the uh, you know she is just starting to hybridize dahlias and she's going to have some beautiful flowers that are mainly for the cut flower market in the next couple of years uh, and i don't know that she'll have them judged or, or listed in 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 the uh, in the handbook but you know, there's so there's generally no fee. In Europe, some of them are, I don't know if they're trademarked or patented or whatever, but the, uh, oh, there's a Dutch company that does that, that had a, uh, that has a whole line of them. So I, there are, in general, dahlias are not trademarked or patented, but a, a couple companies in Europe have. So if I were to purchase some Dahlia tubers and they say cafe au lait, but then I get something totally different, is that a normal thing? 
<laughs> that's a bad thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, that's why it's sometimes if you purchase from a big, a big box store, mm-hmm. you know, you may get what it says and you may get something different, but you know, like, and I think that's just a lot of, a lot of those, you know, come out of the Netherlands and they're shipped here. They're grown by the thousands and then shipped here. And if someone makes a mistake, they make a mistake. But uh, a great place to buy tubers is at your local Dahlia Society. You know, and, and you know, we saw you this weekend at the Garden Mart. But, you know, we sell them in our club, but, you know, throughout the country. You know, there's place, there's Dahlia clubs. There's a little club in Gettysburg. You know, they have some tuber sales and Philadelphia is having a tuber sale this weekend. Uh, I think this weekend their their big sale at Longwood Gardens is. But I think the best place to get tubers is probably just at a Dahlia Club. They're cheaper than a lot of the Dahlia websites, you know, and you know, they're 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 going to be what they say they're going to be. Uh, I think it's risky to go through, you know, some of the the mass merchandisers or, or the big box stores. And I, you have no control over virus either. I think if you have flowers from a reputable dealer or from a Dahlia society, you know, generally they're going to be clean and they're going to be what they say they are. Hmm. Good to know, Rich. And I was going to say, uh, that's from experience (laughs) and knowing that I bought one with one name and it came up with a totally different flower, but I thought that others might have had that same experience. Yep. Likely. So in our last minute, Rich, um, how can people get in contact with you? I would say the best way is I'm on Instagram as 20th Ave Dahlia's. So that's a way to contact me uh, with our club, you know, National Capital Value Society. We, I talked to you about our website, but we're also on Instagram and we're on Facebook. So any of those ways. Great. And any final advice for the beginning Dahlia grower? I've got the tuber in my hand that I bought from the club. And now what do I do? Yeah, I would go out. You know, even if you're listening and it's not pouring raining, I would plant it now, (laughs) you know, put a stake in the ground, plant it next to the stake uh, and grow it and enjoy it, you know, and don't overwater it in June. But I think starting in July and August, it'll need a little bit of water uh, and make sure you cut some some stems off of it so that you'll get more. Thank you so much, Rich. That was good talking with you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wygela, Florida, plant profile. Some pronounce it Wygela, others say Wygela. No matter how you say it, this gorgeous deciduous shrub is a stunning bloomer that attracts hummingbirds and butterflies to your garden. It is in the honeysuckle family and is native to Asia. 
it's hardy to USDA zones 4 to 8. It can grow 6 to 10 feet wide and high. There are also dwarf and miniature versions available. Its tiny tubular-shaped blooms line up along the plant's long bending branches in abundance in mid-spring. It also reblooms sporadically in late summer. It flowers in various shades of whites and pinks, while the contrasting foliage can range from bright green to dark bronze, depending on the cultivar. For best blooming, plant it in full sun, though it can take a bit of shade. Water it consistently for the first few years. After that, it is quite drought tolerant. It flowers on old wood, so do any pruning right after this year's blooms finish. Some recent cultivars to try include Night Tuxedo, Checkmark Trilogy, Sonic Bloom Red, and Minuet. Why, Gila, you can grow that. What's new this week? Well, after a cool, wet, English-like spring in the Mid-Atlantic, we're being rewarded with English-like flowers. In my garden, I have iris, roses, peonies, clematis. Everything's looking beautiful this week. Over at the community garden plot, the chamomile is blooming, the yarrow is starting to bloom, and the strawberries are forming fruits, which means I have to protect them from the birds. So I put a little bit of a cage over part of my strawberry patch, and I've also painted some rocks to look like little strawberries and hopefully act as decoys from the real fruit. In the local gardening world, two events are coming up on Sunday, May 22nd that I wanted to let you know about. The first is the Shepherd Park Garden Tour, and you can find out more about that at shepherdpark.org. And this annual garden tour takes place on the Maryland-D.C. border just between 16th Street and Georgia Avenue. And there's 15 host sites, including a penthouse rooftop garden, two schools, two houses of worship, and historic English sculpture and art gardens, just to name a few check that out. On that same date, the Potomac Rose Society is putting together a tour at 2 p.m. of the Bon Air Memorial Rose Garden. So it's just a self-guided tour, so you can just meet up there, but pre-register at potomacrose.org so they know to expect you. They'll be strolling at their leisure to view over a hundred rose bushes. Free parking is adjacent to the garden in Arlington, Virginia. Also coming up, we're hosting a garden book club meeting online, and you can find out more information about that at washingtongardener.blogspot.com. We're going to be discussing A History of Zinnias, Flowers for the Ages by Eric Grizel, and that is Thursday, June 9th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. via Zoom, and register to get that link sent to you. Happy gardening!
crafty gardener like myself, I want to introduce you to Let's Make Art. I do a lot of DIY projects in the garden, from painting my garden gloves, to creating kokodama, to pouring my own stepping stones. And there's a company that can make it easier for you. Let's Make Art is a revolutionary crafting company that aims to help everyone to channel their inner artist, whether they're three or 63. With the assortment of products and subscription offers, there's an endless opportunity, fun and access to easy to understand tutorials and resources for everyone to learn a craft or take up a hobby. Anyone can have art supplies delivered right to their door in the form of monthly subscriptions, project kits, and supplies for a variety of activities. You can start learning basic lettering techniques to get your more familiar with your abilities with hand lettering for that garden journal you might be keeping. You can also shop all the best lettering supplies, boxes, and kits curated and approved by in-house artists. There's free weekly art journaling tutorials by art journaling artists and instructors. Everyone can join with their supplies at home. Grab the prepackaged kits or get all the videos first with an art journal box subscription. Learn from watercolor artists and instructors. Whether you're a total beginner or you've mastered the arts, Let's Make Art takes the guesswork out of watercolor and creates easy and fun kits. The only thing you'll need is a brush. Let's Make Art simple together. Check out Let's Make Art today by going to our special link zen.ai forward slash garden dc that's zen.ai forward slash garden dc happy crafting in the new book the urban garden by kathy jensen terry spite you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers shrubs vegetables herbs and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. The Urban Garden, 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City, comes out this spring. You can pre-order it now at Amazon.com and Bookshop.org. Thank you for listening to Garden D.C., you can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash gardendc slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. You can find Washington Gardner online at washingtongardner.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardner, on Instagram at WDC Gardner, and on facebook.com at Washington Gardner Magazine.